Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Oh, welcome one and all to the Pause Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Frank, and joined, as always, by the great and powerful Tim. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. The man behind the curtain, maybe? Yeah, we do. We need to get you a curtain. What I'll if I just a- hold I'll hold the paper up to the screen? <laughs> or I could just be, you know, like an amorphous floating head, right? <laughs> you know what, Tim? You'd make a good amorphous floating head. Thank You'd be, you. Yeah, Thank you. and I could be like the Power Ranger. Or maybe I'd be more like Alpha Five or whatever his name was. <laughs> what was it? what was the head's name? Zordon. Yeah. Zer- yeah, yeah, crushing it, boy. So this week, before we get started, just another the last quick reminder uh, that we have officially started splitting our episodes. So last week you got pause rewinds. It was our first one of those. This week you get the second half of our original episodes, which is the deep dive analysis of a certain movie um there'll be no chit chat instead we're just gonna jump right in well after this chit chat where i'm telling you about what we're doing and so uh, we'll jump right in and just analyze talk about a single movie we'll do this every other week on the even weeks and on the other ones we bring you the pause rewind like i talked about and that's where we'll have all the banter the the movies and the tv shows that we're watching any news from the previous two weeks errors and omissions from shows like this one you know stuff like that and of course your listener requests questions the stuff that we really love and we would love to get more of so There's going to be lots of great content every week, so be sure to check it all out. Let us know what you think of the new stuff, because we just want to keep bringing out some quality content. Okay, let's get started. So our last movie review was of the Sam Mendes film 1917, and it was intense. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's still with me. I can taste it a little bit. It's like a kernel that stayed behind in one of my molars. Yeah, that's fair. But in a good way. Yeah. It's also sort of one I want to kind of leave in there because every day this past week or so, I've been like, I want to watch that again. It's true. I want to watch that again. But I don't know that I can. Yeah. I don't know that I can yet. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. No, totally. That makes perfect sense. So that was super intense to watch, to break down uh, and all of that. We absolutely loved it, but it put a lot of strain on my brain. So I don't, you know, yeah. I don't want to speak for yep. you, Tim, but it hurt. Nope, for sure. um, so this week we wanted to discuss something a lot lighter, just more pure fun, something funny, a comedy and uh, the perfect palate cleanser. And what's better than the 1996 comedy classic, The Birdcage? Here we go. All right. Oh, yeah. Uh, as always, spoiler alert, guys, but this movie was made in 1996. So whatever. And it's based off of a play that's much much older yeah. than that. So. <laughs> Made in like 96, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so we're going to talk about it. Spoiler alert. Boom. There it is. Um, where can you watch this? Birdcage currently available for free on Prime Video. I think we said that at the end of the last episode. But as a quick mm-hmm. reminder now, if you haven't seen it yet, that's where you can watch it. It was released in 1996, as I said, directed by the late, great Mike Nichols. Uh, Mike Nichols, he was a real big deal in like the the 70s, the 80s, even into the early to mid-90s. 
and a few that sort of trickled into the into the to the zeros, <laughs> into the yachts. Uh, Mike Nichols directed uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Graduate, Biloxi Blues, Working Girl, and uh, Charlie Wilson's War. I actually think Charlie Wilson's War might have been his last film. He passed away, I think, in 2014. Definitely someone that you've seen his work before. It was written by Elaine May. She wrote the screenplay. Uh, she also wrote things like Heaven Can Wait and Primary Colors. And it is based, as Tim mentioned, it's based on the original play, La Cage au Folle. I don't know. I'm going with that. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and Which is it, from 1973, not 1793. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll amend our much older. <laughs> <laughs> so based on that play by John Poré? Yeah, I'm going to go yeah, with that too. Sure. <laughs> okay, The Birdcage... I'm it losing was, my theater cred over this. This is bad. Dude, whatever. It's not theater cred. It's French, man. I don't speak French. Um, all right, so The Birdcage was made on a budget of $31 million, had a worldwide gross of $185 million, so a massive success for a comedy in 1996. Cast everyone. Everyone is in it. Yeah. You have Robin Williams playing Armand Goldman. You have Nathan Lane as his husband, Albert. You have Gene Hackman as Senator Keeley. Diane Weist as Louise Keeley. Hank Azaria as Agador the butler. <laughs> uh, Dan Futerman, well, you know, you, you might recognize him, but whatever. He plays their son, Val Goldman. Calista Flockhart plays Barbara Keeley. And Christine Baranski is Catherine. Quick synopsis. Ah. Uh, I just realized this is blank. I missed this part, but I think I can wing it. So Val Goldman comes home to visit his parents, Albert and, um, <laughs> I guess I can't Armand. do this. Armand, thank you. So Val comes home to visit his parents, Armand and Albert, and drops the bomb that he's getting married. 20 years old, he's too young, blah, blah, blah. It gets worse than that. He is engaged to Barbara, who is the daughter of Senator and Mrs. Keeley, who are super right-wing conservative senators. Armand and Albert are obviously a same-sex couple. They own a drag bar. Albert is the, is the star of it. And so Val, wanting to win the approval and, I guess, the blessing, maybe, of Senator Keeley and his wife, has convinced his parents to... Tone everything down, clear everything out so that the senator can come down for dinner, meet them, so on and so forth, and hilarity ensues. There's a lot more. We're going to get into more of it, but that's kind of the really brief synopsis. There's obviously a lot more threads to it. So, I should have written something down. I apologize. Let's get started. Overall opinions. I absolutely adore this movie. This is my favorite movie. I, I feel like I say that a lot. It's only because <laughs> I kind of forgot about this one from time to time. But the mm -hmm. second I'm reminded or the second I watch it, it is no contest. I love this movie. I watch it several times a year. I remember watching it like right when it came out, which was probably inappropriate, I guess, yeah, in 1996. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I was in the sixth grade. But you know what? I'm amazed at how it manages to hit me differently every time I watch this. This movie, yeah, like different notes hit at different times, be it in your life. Obviously, if you watch it mm -hmm. when you're younger, you don't really get the deeper content. But even when you're older, like there's just there's different seasons day to day, right? And so 
one day it might just really hit you how funny it is and the the one-liners or the physical comedy really hits home. Another day, you know, some of the uh, the deeper caricatures or, or whatever might hit a little bit better or something just might be, I don't know, a little more pertinent to your day that day. It doesn't matter. There's, there's so much in this and so many ways that the comedy kind of attacks you that it can always sort of ding in a different way. And that's what amazes me the most about this, let alone the fact that there's actually a real story in here. Which just yeah. helps to even elevate it more. So, again, my all-time favorite movie, prepare for my praises, because they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tim? What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I this is I can't really say how many times I've seen this all the way through, because it's definitely one of those movies where I've tuned in at different points. I know I've seen it start to finish at least once, but... I feel like it's one of those movies where I've caught a lot of times, whether it was on HBO or something like that. Right. Um, you know, especially from the middle onward, I feel is like what I know the best of this movie, especially the third act is, is somehow what I know absolutely the best about this movie. And I'm pretty sure I saw this at a much younger age too. I can't specifically remember. I feel like it, all of grand- our parents wanted to see it and we're like, forget it. We're just taking them. Yeah. I, my grandmother has always loved Nathan Lane. Um, like Mouse Hunt is one of her all time favorite movies um that's awesome so yeah so she and producers obviously you know she's just always kind of loved nathan lane so and robin williams too is another huge favorite of hers so i mean this is right up there so i mean it's just it's so good on so many levels and and then when you get into movies and and just pop culture i mean you cannot go wrong with hank Azaria ever i mean i was in this you know, whether you're a Simpsons fan. Along came Polly. He's in it for like oh, two yeah. seconds and he right. kills. He's just such an interesting guy to watch. Um, it's sort of just fun to watch him play uh, a character. So uh, you can't go wrong with anybody in this movie. No, it's it's amazing. And just everyone, and we'll get to this, but everyone just plays their role to perfection. So before we dive into the rest of the review, I, I will say, right, and I was a little bit hesitant as I started watching this movie, and my wife kind of pointed it out. She's like, you know, some of the stuff you're going to talk about, you're not really qualified to talk about. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to mansplain anything, and I certainly don't want to speak for the lgbtq community in any way shape or form i feel this movie's uber positive i feel like you know glad was hugely behind this film when it came out and felt like it was a very positive portrayal so i think knowing that i can speak confidently that this would be considered a positive film within the community so there it is and and not even that i think we're also gonna walk a little bit of a line politically too so oh, um, yeah. as, as as some of that kind of pulls into this i mean it was originally a french piece you know written in 1973 so there is obviously some for it to translate into a musical and stage ad- uh, adaptations and a movie adaptation there's obviously some universal truths in it so it's not just the american political system and it's not even necessarily the pol- politics side of it it is the values side of politics of the republican side of things as is, is, you know, as this is portrayed because they are and for a long time have been the party of morals so you know there is something universal uh, about both sides of this whether it's social political or what so yeah no that makes a lot of sense so I think the the disclaimer is out of the way. Let's jump in full throttle. Okay, so yeah. normally we touch on the bad and then the good. Let's start with the bad. Much like our last review of 1917, it, it was this was difficult. This was difficult yeah. for me to find anything bad. So I think 
you know, besides the, besides the fact that I think the only thing bad of this movie is there's nothing bad. Honestly, I, I sort of, when I picked this, I said to myself, you know what? I think it's going to be really interesting to dive into stuff that happens in this movie that would be considered hugely taboo today, which is, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And honestly, I expected there to be a lot that happened in this film in 96 that would have caused it to not be able to be made today. And it's interesting because I just didn't really find that to be the case. No. And I think that just talks back to that universal truth sort of thing. You know, obviously this has transcended countries and, and social norms between two countries, but I found myself thinking a lot about that too. And I think that also is set up by the fact that this was a stage play. Um, so it's meant mm. to be adapted and reshaped. You know, a lot of the things that we hear when we mount a show within our industry, um, you know, we at Fords, we like to meet with the directors. They have the director come in maybe a year or two ahead of the production and kind of tell us their vision. And, you know, one of the questions when you do an older play is like, are you going to update it? Are you going to update the jokes? Are you going to change the setting? You know, things like that. So part of that is, I think, the flexibility in it being a stage play, that the universal elements the universal conflict kind of lend itself to being updated but to your point as well i just don't know if this movie were to be made today if it would be able to walk the line that it does Uh, and and it's a smart and it's a smart comedy right and i just don't think that especially american comedy is into smart humor anymore right as well we're more into the slapstick gross out lewd comedy and this is a smart movie yeah and i think there's those of us for sure that would be hungry for something like this but i think that's why this watching this now is such a such a joy because it's it's, you'll find yourself feeling like a super old man saying they just don't make them like this anymore you know what i mean right and that's and that's exactly how i felt watching it because you're right you know and and yeah dude i'm I'm all about a gross out whatever comedy. But then when you come across something like this and you're just sort of like, man, that was just different. And I agree. I I think that especially the younger viewers and especially what they've grown up with to date, Mm -hmm. you know, this is just something that would maybe it just wouldn't hit as funny as it does now. I also think some of the things that make it so funny might just hit a little too close to home for some people, particularly the political stuff. But Again, for me, I just, I, I loved it. I thought it was, we'll get into all of it in a second. I expected to, for a movie from 96, there's so many movies that we can look back on and just be like, wow, I can't believe we said that. And there just wasn't that here. Overall, I found this to be an incredibly positive portrayal of love and family, you know, and, and I want to emphasize that because amazingly, there's so many moments in this movie where I genuinely forgot that Val's parents were a same-sex couple. And I mm-hmm. don't mean that in a, in a negative way of like, oh, then it surprised me again. It was just more that it was so normal. It felt yeah. so natural and it felt so fluid. And, and I think, too, it speaks to our culture today that this is, you know, it, it's no longer abnormal. It just mm-hmm. is. And and that's a wonderful feeling. And I kind of loved that that came through more. And that's sort of what I was speaking to before. Different things will hit you in different ways when you yeah. watch it. I mean, I remember the first time watching it, Hank Azaria's over-the-top flamboyant character was funny to me because 
you know, I mean, that was just funny at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And and it and it just felt like, oh yeah, that is what a super gay butler would do or say. And now that was far less and it was I was just more amazed by the banter of this married couple. And as a married mm-hmm. man, that struck me as like, this is how me and my wife talk to each other, or this right. is you know what I mean? And so the comedy was different. It was great. Yeah. All things considered, you look at what other pop culture came out around this time and you know, you're in in the nineties, mid nineties, you know, friends was a big phenomenon at that time. And there's a lot of debate nowadays about friends and a lot of problematic content in that show towards, you know, just the way that they refer to Ross's ex-wife and her relationship and how he left her or she left him for another woman. And um, there's just a lot of that on second view has that cringeworthy effect that I was, so I was kind of same thing, kind of going into this being like, is this going to be a friend situation where you're going to be like, like some of this is like, am I going to feel guilty about how much I like this? And you know, that debate about friends comes down on two sides. Some people were so young that it all went over their heads. And there's that argument of, well, that was, it was made during a time where, you know, people use the word gay to be like, Oh, that, that, you know, something is so dumb. Oh, it's so gay. You know, like that it's a different time, but yeah, it's just not there. Um, So, you know, for two iconic pieces to be made at the same time and their treatment is completely, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. But yeah, it just, it it wasn't there. I think the only thing I started to kind of wonder about was whether Nathan Lane's character as Albert and maybe maybe Hank Azaria's Agador I was starting to worry or look at like do they borderline on a stereotype or a caricature but the more I thought about it like not really I mean they are characters like and and I know people that would be just like these people. So they're not a huge amalgamation of, you know, gay culture in one person. They are a person um, that feels actually very natural to me, more so when I thought about it than somebody might necessarily think. I, I don't think they're an over-exaggeration of a person at all. Right. And I and I think what it really does is just sort of say, you know, like the, the brush paints in many colors, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. you know, I, I had the same thought, especially with the portrayal of Albert as basically a woman versus a gay man right and i thought that Mm -hmm. was gonna bother me a little bit just because i'm never a huge fan of automatically stereotyping same-sex couples in film as these overly flamboyant Mm -hmm. you know people like you are being overly effeminate like you can be hyper masculine and just prefer men but again that didn't bother me because i think it was just albert's truth right and it's agador's truth and and it would make sense that they're drawn to like-minded people in the line of work that they do and that kind of so it didn't feel to me right again as a straight man looking from the outside in it never felt stereotypical to me it Mm -hmm. just felt like this one person's truth and i think it's well balanced by uh robin williams armand character who is more masculine, but still just as in love with Albert as Albert is with him. And so, you know, I think it, I think it just, I think it just worked. The other thing too, that I kind of put on here, there's a few lines in this movie that are obviously questionable, um, but somehow they feel okay and appropriate for the character. You know, one thing is that Robin Williams kind of uses the F word a lot. And by the F word, I mean the three letter slur for homosexuals, Mm -hmm. but 
in the context of his character and especially in the context that he's using it, it feels okay. The Keelys say some awful things, but in terms of the characters that they're playing, like they're they're also okay. I can see conservatives speaking to that. I can see conservatives getting pissed off today about how they're being represented by the senator and Mrs. Keeley characters. You know, but I find it to be on point and hilarious. And, yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and and you have to remember, too, we see these characters truly through the lens of the Goldmans, through Val mm-hmm. and through Armand and through Albert. And so the way that they're being portrayed makes sense because the Goldmans are our heroes. And so that's who yeah. we're supposed to relate to. And so we're, we're viewing everyone through their lens. But with that being said, all the crazy stuff that even the Keelys say or do, while perfectly ridiculous... You never see them as villainous, right? Like mm-hmm. they don't come across as as mean, spirited, gross, or anything else. Naive, maybe, uninformed, maybe, but they also are very lovable and relatable characters, and you genuinely look forward to seeing them on screen again. So even in their portrayal of that person, right? That hyper right-wing conservative. They're still enjoyable and and, mm-hmm. and not cringy or anything like that. They just add. They add to the comedy. They add dimensionality and they add conflict that we that we need when we're sitting there to watch this movie. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about you know updating this movie. You know, like making this movie today. I don't know that that naivete or uninformed kind of point of view can exist in 2020 it works well because in 96 gay culture every not everybody knew a gay family or even a gay person you know it was much more of a uh you know i guess a taboo kind of thing but you know it wasn't something that people especially maybe in politics had a a you know, direct connection to. It's not somebody they interacted with. And I don't know if you played it today. I don't know that they would play, it would play more as misinformed and closed-minded and maybe evil-spirited, you know. It, Agreed. It's, it, it's going to come off, they they can play it off as naive because they, you know, they, it's just not something they are familiar with. I think that's an amazing, an amazing point. And I agree completely because even in the third act, the big reveal comes with this great payoff from Gene Hackman's Senator Keeley character where he's just dumbfounded and confused and he doesn't understand. And, and, and today that wouldn't, that payoff wouldn't ring as true. Sure. But you can believe it in his character given the context of the time. But it works great here. Lastly, this movie is filled with filled with epic one-liners. I quote this movie constantly. Um <laughs> And some of them hit epically, but some of them seemingly miss the mark. And again, we're kind of talking about sort of the bad here, right? But still, this sort of feels in line with the character and just makes it funnier. So there's a line that comes to mind. It's when Barbara is telling her parents, the senator and his wife, about Val. And and he doesn't say we've been dating or I've been seeing someone. He looks she looks right at her parents and goes, We've been sleeping together for a year. And I'm like, who says that? It's not believable. But it's hilarious coming from her and from her character. And it's yeah. followed immediately by this awesome reaction from both Gene Hackman and Diane Weiss. And it's it's awesome. So even the parts 
that seem that you would think on paper out of context don't work these are stupid corny whatever in the context of this film as a whole it's brilliant yeah and so even the things that try to be bad are great i don't know i i get (laughs) with watching this movie it was kind of like when you're in an interview and you get that question of like, you know, what's your greatest weakness? And you just answer it with, you know, my greatest weakness is I have no weaknesses. (laughs) And that's what the birdcage is. Everything is good, even the bad. Yeah. I think one thing that maybe started to throw me at the beginnings is that it is 90s Miami. Like this movie (laughs) looks like the 90s threw up on it. And it, (laughs) Just it, it, your mom, you're like, oh, this kind of feels kind of dated. Uh, but it just it works to the idea where um, you feel like their lifestyle was still was still somewhat of a counterculture. So it fits better in this era. Mm. It's a better juxtaposition. Um, you know, we haven't quite mentioned it yet, but the Keeleys are Senator Keeley is like the co-founder of this coalition for like moral coalition for moral order yeah right um and so the the, this 90s miami's nightclub drag club is the antithesis of his moral order right and everything that he stands for and it just you know it it is it's very much like the Bowery in New York in the seventies with the punk scene or San Francisco in the sixties with the flower children. It is like an epicenter of counterculture, essentially what it feels like at this, you know, you go from this snowy palatial estate uh, where the Keeleys live down to this swinging nightclub in Miami. And so it just, it works so well where first you're like, Oh, this feels dated. But now again, along with everything else, it just fits so well at this point in time. Well, and I think that fits perfectly with the last little thread that we left off from the synopsis where we talked about sort of the Goldman's motive or Val's motivation and that sort of driving force through all this. And, and and that being, he wants to impress the Senator and his wife. And so he wants his parents to tone it down. The Keeley situation is, as you mentioned, Senator Keeley is one of the founding members of the coalition for moral order, along with another Senator named Senator Jackson. Ironically, he's a Senator from Virginia. <laughs> And I don't know right. if you I don't right. know if you noticed that. <laughs> it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. So uh so Senator Keeley's out of Ohio, Senator Jackson's out of Virginia, both Republicans. They're prepping for re-election. It's the whole the whole cliche, right? And Senator he, Senator Keeley gets the phone call that Senator Jackson was just found dead. And he was found dead in a African American miners who's also a prostitute's bed. So it looks really bad for the senators and the idea now is maybe barbara getting married white wedding will take the public's eye off of jackson and keep keely in good graces and will kind of give everyone something to to celebrate something super moral and american and whatever and that is why you know what they don't know they're walking into is that the man that she wants to marry comes from a same-sex household and they're drag queens and all this other kind of stuff. And so it just sort of furthers this whole thing of these two senators. <laughs> Actually, Gene Hackman has a great line when he fi- when he finds out 
about uh the goldmans he's like great now everyone's gonna be talking about jackson and his women and keely and his men <laughs> and, it's, right. and it's just the perfect summary of what this would look like and mean for him um yeah. and so those are the two sides of the coin okay so now that we have that um the good right so now you kind of know the whole story let's dive into the good number one absolutely non-stop laugh out loud hilarious the yep. writing in this movie is brilliant. We talked about the one-liners. They hit so quick. They are nonstop, but they're not oppressive or unrealistic the way that watching like the Gilmore Girls or oh. literally Ari, any Aaron Sorkin movie ever. They bother me in those, but this, mm -hmm. it feels natural. It feels witty. It feels clever and totally in line with the characters. Because yeah. really, it's the Goldmans that kind of have it. The Keelys are a little bit slower, and there's a little more <laughs> build. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> As I talk about the movie, I just remember lines. And that's the thing about this movie. You will remember these lines forever. You, you'll yes. think about them. Maybe you won't quote them, but something will happen, and you'll think about it. And I was really worried about this movie and reviewing it because i could i could see the vortex i could see the black hole of me just falling into like just regurgitating the 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 lines and the funny bits <laughs> and the scenes and and i really didn't want to do that so so yes it's quick and it's sharp one-liners but like i said not oppressive not annoying it feels very natural and it fits the characters the first few times i saw this movie and and this I talked about this a little bit. There's so much depth to this and, mm -hmm. and there's depth in a lot of ways. You know, there's depth to the comedy straight up because like I said, different elements of the movie will hit you differently, but it's also, and we'll get to this in a second. It's also just, there's a deeper story in there too. And so maybe you're just relating to that. I think when I first saw it, I really just was enjoying the surface level comedy right the colorful mm -hmm. over the top characters we talked about nathan lane and hank azaria hank azaria straight up almost killed me the first time that i watched this movie and it's because i don't know i saw my mother in him i saw some of our friends like yeah his whole literally i have said the words come on gloria many many times in my life <laughs> Like if someone, if someone sends me to the rumors, like Frank, can you please just get that? I'll just like grab a fake boombox and be like, come on, Gloria, <laughs> and just leave the room. <laughs> it kills me. That's there. And if that's what you're looking for, you're gonna get it. I mean, it's what, what is ultimately really testament to this is Robin Williams playing, no pun intended, the straight man. I mean, right. The comedic, is, the comedic timing. The comedic, straight man. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. There are two actors that just have this level of intensity being um, in Hank Azaria and Nathan Lane that Robin Williams doesn't need to be Robin Williams. You know, he doesn't need to be the genie. He doesn't need to be Mrs. Doubtfire. He is just, you know, for a lot of people are like, Oh, I need to play, see him play a serious role for a lot of this movie. This is a serious part for him yes um yes and he has those moments um i think there's one where they're popping champagne for cocktails um and he's so on edge about the way this dinner party is going when the champagne pops he screams <laughs> and just kind of <laughs> loses it the screams um, in this kill me yeah absolutely. i love a good scream it is it is just brilliant there's not often when robin williams is in a movie that he is overshadowed and not even over it's not overshadowed kind of implies a negative thing but he is just 
there's there is he's not the character. focal point of this movie yeah uh, right and and i totally so i actually have a note later on where i say one of the real positives of this i love robin williams but yeah. he annoys me to death in a lot of what he does right because he's so uh, you ever watch an interview with him you know where he's just he takes over and he's so out there you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it just never stops it he just I, runs now to be fair you got to be careful because you are talking about my family who robin williams yeah you're related to robin williams so my wife her aunt was robin williams most recent wife really yes your wife's aunt was married uh-huh. to Robin Williams? Yes. He is her, he she is his widow. <gasps> That's yes. wild, dude. <laughs> so when we were getting married, uh they they don't necessarily they aren't like the keep in touch kind of family. They they, they really haven't seen each other in, in a few years. You mean your wife um, and her aunt? Yeah, and, and um, the, the sisters, Carissa's mom and uh, aunt. I was all about inviting him to the wedding. I Just to say that we could invite him uh, to our wedding, just to say, you know, Carissa's aunt and Robin Williams. And she went to their wedding. She has met. She had met him once, I believe. And so devastated uh, when he passed away that we, that we wouldn't be able to, because he passed away about a year or two before our wedding. Um, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> that is an odd family connection. So. Dude, that's a trip. Well, I still hold fast that he annoys me no, half absolutely to death. True. Absolutely. <laughs> Dude, that is so wild. Yeah. Um, totally. Okay. So, any, but, but what you're saying is there's a few shining moments where he just sort of brings this, this yeah. different person. And, 100%. And for this, he fully embraces his role in this because without him doing that, this movie doesn't work. Correct. You can't have everyone on a 10. And but uh, exactly like you're saying, to see him being the grounding element of these characters is so contrary to what you'd expect that it makes it even funnier when yeah. he's when he's sort of calming everyone else down. It right. absolutely kills me when him and Nathan Lane are having these where she's just where he I say she because in the movie she, he refers to his character as she, so it's just instinctive, but. When Albert is having his blow up over the top freak out moments and you see Robin Williams calm, cool and collected, like trying to be the voice of reason. It's just like, what is happening? It is so funny. Just just to that. It's perfectly cast and it's brilliant to say, look, Mm -hmm. we're going to have Nathan Lane go off the rails. We want you to to, like you said, be the straight man in this in the comedy duo. And. And it's perfection because it's it's unexpected. It's not yeah. what you would expect. So so yes, if if that's all you're looking for, you're absolutely gonna get it. I, you know, but what I really wanted to focus on in this episode is what really started to sort of hit me this most recent time I was watching it, which is as I've gotten older and I've watched it so many times, I started to really appreciate how complex the characters are written and how beautiful mm-hmm. and heart wrenchingly well, just how heart wrenching the story really is. It hit home differently for me this time to, to the point where as before I watched it just the other day, I was starting to get worried. I was like, I'm not going to have anything to talk about. And then as I watched it, like I said, it just struck me differently and I was amazed. So while the flash of these characters is what strikes you at first, this movie is really an exploration of the characters themselves and it's a story about a father who's 
fought for 20 years to find and be himself, to be comfortable in his own skin, but yet a father who will do anything for his son, right? It's like self-love versus the love for his son. It's that innate tension that sort of drives the conflict in this movie. And and it's subtle yet also just right in your face. It's it's incredibly well written. So his love for his son in this moment in time is proven to be a little bit detrimental. And it's mm-hmm. it's really caused this, like I just said, this this really intense tension. You know, Val's focus, his motivation is he wants to marry Barbara. And he wants to get married and he wants his fiance's family's approval their blessing and all of that. And we already talked about, you know, they're these ultra right-wing conservatives. Now, so to gain his approval, he has to ask his father, who has battled through the hardest decades of the LGBTQ movement, right? Like, no, we know mm-hmm. this now with hindsight. Right. But he's had to battle through all of this, hiding his homosexuality, hiding, you know, all these things. He has to ask him to do all those things again and and hide the love of his life and hide everything that he has finally been able to accept and and just dis- put on display and be proud of just to impress his senator. Um, yeah. This part for me was really heart-wrenching and heartbreaking to watch. And we see just how powerful and terrible this ask is with how incredibly Robin Williams portrays Armand contemplating the request at the bar. So mm-hmm. when Val springs this on him, Robin Williams delivers this incredible line where he's just like, you know, I, I'm proud of who I am and I'm proud of this. I, I had to work 20 years to get here and I don't care what they think. This is me. Like, this is your family. I don't understand, yeah. right? right. And, and, and then they show him at the bar and he's just really contemplating it. He comes up from the bar just wordlessly and starts giving Agador instructions how to clear out the house and start, you know, prepping to play it straight, right? Right. And Val overhears it. He comes out and he thanks him. And then Williams again just delivers this gut punch line. And he says, do me a favor, Val, and don't talk to me for a while. And it's just, I I can't even, I, I, I don't know. I can't really think about, or I can't wrap my head around just how powerful this whole scene is you know Mm -hmm. because you see him just instinctively defending himself but the ask isn't coming from anyone it's coming from his son and there's nothing he wouldn't do for him but at the same time it's heartbreaking for him that his son would even ask that of him like why would you be ashamed of me and your family and all these things and and part of it is it's not i don't even know that val is ashamed of him because i don't really know that he ever is you know if it really does come off as ashamed because he grew up this way he doesn't you know we come to find out he never knew his mother he has never met his biological mother he was raised by albert and armand it's not like you know when he was 15 suddenly his dad's like hey I'm gay, your mother and I are splitting. And, you know, I don't, that's, that was his normal. And so the fact that now that Val has gone away to college and he is coming home and insinuating that his normal is maybe not good enough for everybody else, or his normal is not what at this point in time is is normal for the rest of the country that hurts more than being ashamed. I think it's, you know, that unacceptance. 
Yeah, it's like you've suddenly you've gone out in the world and you've been educated or re-educated or uneducated, however you want to see it. But you've gone out in the world and had other influences on you. And now you're seeing like, oh, no, we don't fit in. And to fit in, I need you to not be who you are. And so I guess in that way, it's kind of ashamed. But I just I, I see it as more of just, you know, realizing that if he wants to 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 move forward in his own life you know he his his parents aren't as normal as maybe he grew up thinking they were so it's either way it's just bitter i mean it's 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 horrible oh (laughs) without a doubt it's a it's a hard thing to swallow but what's even more interesting is you you get this whole thing play out you get this whole thing to play out Right. So you get the big ask, you get Robin Williams being hurt, you get him, you know, acquiescing to his son's request, Mm -hmm. but still not being super thrilled about it. But then there's this really, there's this, it's almost a throwaway. Not really. It's a huge line. What's interesting is that all of this conflict is really all born of Armand because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's this, there's this fact that happens or that we find out that Armand. Well, he has found confidence and security in his life. He has always told his son to lie about his home life. There's a line mm. where he's just like, you used to tell me to tell my teachers, you know, not to tell my teachers about who my parents were or that Albert was just a friend or a cousin or whatever the situation was. And he's and Armand says, well, you were a kid and I didn't want you to get hurt. And Val's mm. response is, I can still get hurt. So mm. what's interesting is, is, is that... In a way, while Armand is hurt that Val would ask him to change for his fiance's family, he's been asking Val to lie about their lives his whole life. And so yeah, Val sure. has never really been exposed to, you know, embracing that his own self of confidence in the house he grew up in. Right. So when you look at it that way, then it's almost not necessarily out of the question that Val could come home and be like, Hey dad, we're, you know, this is just part of our game. This is how we've lived our lives. And hey, going back to that, you know, this is, you know, still a counterculture, you know, lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it's so add on to that, that, that realization that you're getting at that, like, you know, I've tried to raise my kid to be protected this whole time, but all it was really happening is we've come down to this moment and like, I've seen what I've done to him. I've seen like, this is what he thinks has to happen for him to move his life forward. But one of the interesting things here that I, that I, I, I kind of thought about too, and my wife brought this up while we were watching, she has always had a, a, a view on, and not to, not to downplay the feelings or the opinions of our parents into our relationships but us getting married you getting married you are starting your own family you are starting the the next branch of that family tree and not that our parents approval is unimportant but i think the idea of that approval is sort of not not a necessary thing anymore per Mm, se right because you can't help who you fall in love with regardless you know it's like oh he falls in love with her and then oh your parents are ultra conservative they you know they claim the moral high ground we can't get married sort of thing all this to say there is just so much weight on armand uh, as he you know realizes comes to grips with what he has trained his son to do 
but also, you know, that this idea that really he doesn't, whether his son has his approval or not, he's going to get married and they're going to start their own family tree. And there's just so much, you know, it, he can fight it, but in the end, his son's going to do him, right? He's going yeah. to do his own thing. I mean, you would think, but the movie actually opens up with a line about that, right? So, so mm. when Val comes in for the first time, we haven't even found out the situation with the Keelys or any of that. We're mm, simply mm. talking about the idea of Armand's 20-year-old son getting married. So Val comes in, he says, I met someone, I'm getting married. What do you think? Do I have your blessing? That sort of thing. And Armand's response is, does it even matter? Mm. That's his response. Mm-hmm. Is, does it even matter? Right. And Val says, of course it does, Pop. I want you to tell me it's okay. So at some point, right, like we all seek the approval of our fathers, of our mothers, of all that kind of stuff. We want to know that you like the person I've chosen and that sort of thing. Because, yes, you are branching off, right? The whole idea of leave and cleave, right? But there's still that transition moment. I'm going to leave. I want to know that you like the person that I'm going to start the next branch with. There's still that moment. That's the approval we're seeking is, you know, do you are you behind this transition or this new step. And and that's what he's seeking out. And again, all of this is in there, right? We can relate to all of this. And that's sort of what I was speaking to before. It doesn't matter for a moment, right? Because it it very much matters the the fact that they're a same sex couple and that it drives a lot of this movie and it's a very important dynamic, but there are moments here where it doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter that I'm a straight man or a heterosexual man or whatever it is. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm Puerto Rican versus, you know, Caucasian, whatever the situation, we can all relate to the bones of this story, which is which right. is these moments, these really amazing moments. And 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 it's these things that just elevated even further. So you couple sure. this struggle, right, between Armand battling with his disappointment of his son's ask versus all of a sudden him battling with his own disappointment in the fact that he has asked him to do this so many times mm-hmm. in his life and so he's just born mm-hmm. this problem on himself and and all of that all of this always has resulted in Albert like you said Val has no mother he has Albert Albert is his other parent Albert in the movie is his mother right yep and so he and again, I say that because that's how they have identified the character, not that I am right. identifying him that way. But yet Albert is his entire 20 years of raising and loving this family. He's been constantly cast aside and he's been in a constant battle to be fully accepted as husband and father to Val. Husband to Armand and father to Val because... He's constantly being thrown away. And now here he finds himself again at the next biggest moment in Val's life, again being cast out because as the plot has unveiled, they've decided that Nathan or that Albert is too feminine, can't pass as straight, and obviously can't supposedly pass as a woman. So Albert's got to go, and we're just going to do this with just Armand. Or as the plot unfolds, we're going to bring in his biological mother, Catherine, to play the mother so it's just there's a lot there's a lot of depth happening here yeah and as you as you as we walk through this you just can't help but think back to the opening sequence with albert and you know he's throwing this what on the surface 
going back to that 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 surface comedy appears to be a diva tantrum right right right? it is just purely a diva tantrum yes he wants you know he's gonna get on stage um in costume as star starina yeah he's um as starina the the star of this show and she's gonna strut her stuff and get the adoration of her fans and she's got this comedy bit intertwined to these music and you know everything's gonna be fine when she gets on stage it's just that you know uh, i'm in my trailer and i'm gonna throw a fit kind of situation it's really not when you get deeper into this that fit is borne out in years of uh, of borderline neglect exactly and it is you know you just evolve and it hits you you're like Oh, so that whole thing that happened at the beginning that 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 there is there's reason for this like hey, that's this exactly not, right yeah it's just so deep and the way that story is told you revisit that and you're like oh you know because you're pulling you're like oh just get on stage just get on stage you know, get, she's got reasons to walk out like right. she's got reasons to believe that the bottle of white wine is for someone else that Armand is seeing on the side. Like, because she's done everything with him for 20 years and doesn't feel, you know, he doesn't love her the way that she needs to be loved. It doesn't mean he doesn't love her. He just doesn't love her the way that she needs to receive it. No, that's absolutely right. And, 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 and it's, it's the depth and that's what I'm talking about, right? You watch this once, you'll get the surface level comedy. You watch it a couple times and suddenly nuanced elements start to creep up and and they're funny, but they're also powerful. And, And I think it's that for, for a comedy like this to have such a strong foundation and so much depth just elevates this entire movie to something mm-hmm. much more than either piece could have been alone, right? Yeah. And and arguably just makes it the best comedy ever made because it's just <laughs> it's massive. It's absolutely incredible how they do this. Okay, a couple of quick positive notes. Um the three act structure hits beautifully in this, right? You can set it really your watch. Does. It I mean, you set your watch to the major milestones that you would expect from a perfectly crafted script. You know, the inciting incident hits right away, you know, with with the with the wedding and the upcoming wedding and then the fact that they have to hide everything. Like that sets us on our journey, right? And then the major conflicts and the increasing obstacles that the heroes have to face, right? We're getting rid of Albert and then we're not. And then the mother and then this, and then everything just keeps getting mounting and mounting and building and building. And it perfectly builds the conflict, the tension, the struggle and the comedy. It all is born from this textbook structure, Mm -hmm. but most importantly, you know, it's just comfortable watching the movie feels comfortable. There's, there's really no surprises. That's not to say there aren't, little twists and and Mm -hmm. happy surprises (laughs) right but there's there's nothing in here that makes you feel uncomfortable it's just straight up good writing and you're just gonna feel at home watching this play out like it just it just makes sense in your soul (laughs) you know what i mean yep (laughs) i just i mean i i'm as you mentioned before i'm just starting to feel the vortex in my head it's i'm telling just, you it, it is so much it is i feel so like there. we could do a whole episode of just you and i sitting and just rattling off right. the best <laughs> moments um right. okay so with that in mind the third act of this movie is a freaking oh. master class of comedic writing yeah you have watched everything build and play out, and it comes to a perfect head when the Achilles and the Goldmans 
clash at the dinner party. All these characters come together. Everything has changed. The set that was once lively and neon and impressive and beautiful is now their their colorful South Beach apartment has become this creepy <laughs> monastery of a home. <laughs> Such a good line. It is Achilles, an absolute killer line to <laughs> call it a monastery. Achilles walk in and they're like, I love this house. It's so much less of a home and more of a... <laughs> Robin Williams is just, monastery. monastery. <laughs> and, so, and there's a giant crucifix hanging on the wall. Oh my god, it's so good. And it's so beautiful too because you've got I mean, it looks absolutely like a monastery. He's you know, we use this place for reflection and you know the chairs um, are creepy. Everything's and it's oh and it's it's lined with all these old books and uh Mrs. Keeley washes. Oh, these old books are just so beautiful. She picks them up and it's like the whole first print edition of Nancy Drew. (laughs) Like it's just it is so beautifully like absurd. <laughs> you have the whole it, set, <laughs> but it appeals to these, you know, the senator and his wife. It it, it appeals to them. Everything and, hits and, coincidentally, perfectly. Yes, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But again, right? But there's there's even a little bit more to this because what has been lively and colorful, right? Suddenly. It, it highlights the inward struggle of what has now become totally devoid of that color and just that tension of what the Goldmans are fighting because there's there's even a great part, right? So Albert tries, he's going to try to play it straight. He gets dressed up in a suit, but when he crosses mm-hmm. his legs, his socks, it's like bright pink tights. And yep. so he's in black and white and then these bright pink tights. And he's like, no makeup, no jewelry, nothing. nothing. But he's like, one does need a hint of color. <laughs> and and so it's, it's, again, like under the surface, there is this just eruption of life and color and beauty just wanting to come out, but they are containing it all. And, and in the house is the same. We've seen for two acts, we've seen this house sunny and gorgeous and colorful and beautiful mm-hmm. and now it is drab and brown and gray but you know what is underneath and you know it's going to come bursting through and it just innately builds that sense of tension you don't even know where it's coming from right. but it also heightens the comedy because every line every moment hits harder because of that on your seat sort of feeling well, and it's that next line that Albert has in that scene where, you know, they call him out on the pink tights. Um, he goes, so it really is when I'm it's something to the effect of, so in trying to play it straight, you see just how gay I really am. Right. Yeah, he's even like, more it, noticeable. Right. And, yeah. and it's sort of true. They do their best to hide everything, but the little pieces that come through are just worse. I mean, you think about the dinner bowls. Like they've gone to hide everything and they forget that their dinner bowls have scenes of men, uh, naked men, fornicating men on them. Right. And we don't quite know, but like, we get that sense. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, by trying to play this straight, we've just made this scenario worse. We've you highlighted know, it, the bowl now. Right. 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 Exactly. <laughs> everything else is gray, but here's this bright blue bowl with like Greek men just tumbling right. each other. Right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It highlights it highlights the things they've missed. Um, so so with that, so what ends up happening is <laughs> Albert comes out just in full like housewife 
like just plain Jane drag. Like he's not yep. done up, but he's really playing the mother role now. Mm-hmm. And what's really fascinating, which comes with its own comedy, and he's saying these ridiculous things. And what's amazing, and what was amazing to me watching it this time, was finding or watching Albert as a woman finding so much common ground with the ultra conservative Senator Keeley, even though he's actually a homosexual man. It's incredibly funny, but and it's natural, it's believable, but it also highlights and helps us. First of all, I think it humanizes everybody, including the Keeleys. Sure. As we learn more about, as we see this play out more, what we're kind of seeing is that people are people, right? And mm-hmm. if you strip away all the outward stuff, and any of the preconceived notions or expectations that that you would, if the Achilles knew what they were, they would come in with right. these just predetermined thoughts about who they were. If if they would even come in at all. Exactly. So given that they've come in blank canvas, and they're meeting the real people, there's so much commonality, respect, and love, regardless of the surface. And there's a great moment when the Achilles discover the truth. And Albert comes up and says, I meant everything I said. You know, the, mm-hmm. the woman you met is really me <laughs> with one teeny difference. <laughs> well, not teeny. It's again such a good line. So, but, but that's sort of the point, right? It's like you, you would have assumed who I was and, yeah. and not seen how similar we really are, despite the fact mm-hmm. that we couldn't be more different in so many ways right and and that's so beautiful and it's such a beautiful concept and it's so well written and and woven into the fabric of this movie that again like you're just gonna it doesn't matter the mood you're in something's gonna trigger you're gonna get something out of this i think the other thing just about this third act and it was the more that i've kind of dwelled on it um you hit this moment everything builds on each other and it gets ridiculous but i keep coming back to the could we do this today and this movie knows when to stop and not just keep piling on right yeah so you you look at all these moments and nothing still ever really gets that outlandish like it it is but we're still in the realm of more plausible than anything else right yeah so just to just to kind of bring that back around again i, I you know, you're looking at these moments in the in this third act and it builds but it never builds to an absurdity um and it just it just feels so good <laughs> well and i like what you say too about that it never pushes too far the, yeah. the great thing about this movie is it hits a note and it leaves it alone it's yeah. not built on like repetition comedy where I'm just going to mm-hmm. punch you in the face with the same thing until you find the fact that I've done it a hundred times funny. I do want to say one last thing. We've talked a lot about the one-liners and I've mentioned sort of the physical comedy, but I can't underplay oh, it. It's no. so good. The physical comedy when it is employed in this movie is just brilliant. Mm. They jump back earlier where Armand and albert are out for a walk armand is trying to distract albert as val is orchestrating this you know overhaul of their apartment and he's trying to break the news that we're going to send him away this is back earlier when they're going to send him away rather than introduce him to to the keelys right and they come to this realization where armand just can't do it he can't break 
um, you know, he, he's after all the, the hysterics early on, he just can't break Albert's heart. Right. And so he agreed, he agrees to train him <laughs> to, to act straight. They're going to play him off as an uncle at this point. <sighs> and they, they end up at a, um, a, a, a brunch place where they've eaten many times. They hit they're, they're known there. They, 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 they have a special that they order. They, they, they get the usual. And Armand tries to coach Albert into being a man. And he says, you got, you got to walk like a man. And you know, instantly before he ever says it, who he's going to recommend him right. to, to, to model. And he says, you know, do John Wayne as if you just got off his horse. And, Nathan Lane walks in such an absurd way and Robin Williams line back to him is pure genius. And he just says, huh? I think Albert says, did I do it wrong? And Armand says, no, it's just, I've never worn, I've never realized that John Wayne walked that way. It's just so, uh, it is it is underrated because it goes back to what you said earlier. They don't do it, except maybe with Hank Azaria falling once or twice. They don't do it at nauseum. It is just it is perfect when it happens and it makes sense why while it's happening. And then it speaks to what I said earlier. It doesn't it doesn't go to that level of absurdity. And when the movie reaches that level of absurdity, I think where christine baranski comes in and she's like uh no i'm the mother and they have this beat where they're like how are we gonna play this off and then val just says no we're done it's and, a great moment and it works perfectly because you again this day and age i think you would have tried to do something equally ridiculous and tried to draw it out longer and we would it's have true. had a, third, a, a longer third act but the jig is up at that point it, it is over and now it's time to come clean and it just you, part of you wishes that that third act would go on forever, but it doesn't need to. Yeah, this it, isn't it, Clue. Like, yeah, let's just end. It, it, yeah, right. It it it's over, and I I think that makes the very end pay off even more. And I will say, I I think you're absolutely spot on. And and I I'm hesitant to add any more because that was perfectly said. But I I do <laughs> want to point out that your line that you just mentioned. What I love about that scene too. It's so easy because Robin Williams is obviously a straight man in real life. And so it would it would seem like he's then channeling, right? He's lived his whole life as a homosexual man. And he right. is just as gay as Albert. So how is he the authority on how to act straight? And so there's these moments where he's like, yeah, be John Wayne. And so he does it and he comes up and he's like, yeah, no, it's spot on. I just didn't realize it. There's another scene where... He's teaching him how to shake hands and talk. He's like, yeah, crazy game. The Dolphins, fourth and two, blah, blah, blah. And then Nathan Lane repeats it. And he says, was that right? <laughs> and Robin Williams looks at me and goes, I just don't know. <laughs> and, right. and so there's these great where it could have very easily been like unbelievable or, or not as believable where you're saying, I don't know. How does he know to be so straight? Right. Armand well, and, is not, but he and it doesn't. And it turns out he's not because the whole right. handshake thing comes back to bite him later when he meets Senator Keeley and he gives him the hardest handshake <laughs> ever. So and Senator Keeley calls him out on it. He was yeah. like, oh, that's uh, that's some handshake. Right. Like, you like, know, we I don't shake hands he... like this. Right. It's, right. I mean, it's so well crafted. And, and yeah. you're right. It knows exactly when to stop. It doesn't beat yeah. the dead horse. And it just says and, and to speak to the ending. Not only is it perfection to say, 
and we're done. It's it's almost yeah. like the entire cast goes and scene and like bows and we're good. Yeah. Um, but but more than that too, it's also the culmination, right? Because yeah, because Val, who has been the driving force behind all this change, suddenly when he has the chance to come up with another excuse or not, he just says, you know what. This is my family. And the and the highlight for everything is this is my father. He owns the club, right? And that's Armand's sense of pride. I've built this. Like I'm proud of this. And then he turns to Albert. He says, and this is my mother, right? And this is the woman who had me. This is Catherine. But this is my mother. And that's all Albert wants. And Val finally has his moment where in in public to a stranger to whoever, he says, this is who I am. This is who my family is. And so all the bows are tied perfectly. And it's such a great moment. And then, and it's a perfect ending. And, and, you know, and then there's a few more comedy bits and then the wedding and we're good. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And it's a, it's not just the writing. We've really focused on the writing, but it's perfectly acted. The casting in this movie is incredible. Robin Williams, like I said, is the perfect Robin Williams in this. And Nathan Lane is perfection, hilarious, over the top, but also heartwarming all at once and and a real driving force to this. Hank Azaria is a game changer. And Gene Hackman and Diane Weiss as as Senator and Mrs. Keeley are absolute scene stealers. Yeah. And and they're the control, right? Everything else is sort of, they're just the, they're the gray that really makes the colors pop more. Absolutely. And it's Absolutely. everyone just takes their role on beautifully. I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say, man. Let's just what's final thoughts ratings. I just the 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 final juxtaposition in it for me is how they get you know they all pull together in the end, right? Mm-hmm. To get the Achilles out of this situation. And there's just something in that juxtaposition of they dress them all up. They sneak them right out the front door, right past all of the press that is gathered to catch the senator, you know, in this terrible situation. And if he's caught in drag, it's even going to be worse right. than if he was just seen in the club. But you juxtapose that with his, with Senator Keeley's way of escaping the press early in the movie, which was just to climb out the back window of his house. Right. Is there's just something about that, you know, in the dead of winter, he's climbing out a back window, and later in the movie, they're going right out the front, dressed in drag, and it's just, you know, despite everything, they learn something I think from each other, and they all end up benefiting to some degree. But just that juxtaposition, that final juxtaposition of just seeing you know, where this man was early in the movie, climbing out of a window to now walking out into the crowd in drag. It's just it's just so it's a, brilliant. It's a great moment. So what do you give it? It's got to be a 9 out of 10. I yeah. just such a unique perspective with a movie like this that has legs and history as a stage play. And it, and, it, and it moves like a stage play, you know, what we would call in the theater industry a, 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 as a living room play. Because really, it all just takes place in the, in the living room. There's, on stage, I can see one or two sets, three sets. You're not, it's not going to be a major set piece, right? It's actually a small cast, if you're thinking about it stage-wise, right? True, yeah. And it's just, it, it, it benefits so well from the writing getting so refined, you know, over time. And then just the amazing acting. I, you know, I, I don't know what would keep me from going 10 out of 10. Uh, 
you know, maybe it's just that feeling that maybe there is something we're missing. You know, I, I, again, speaking from where we are coming from, maybe there is something much more problematic about this that we don't realize. I don't think it's there. Right. Um, but it is it is so close to perfection. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think it's probably just my fear of, of giving anything perfect, <laughs> but it's so close. <laughs> You're that teacher. No one gets yeah. an A. Um, right. Yeah, man, I... I can't stress enough how much I love this movie. Like I said, I quote this movie daily. I have these Batman socks. I remember when we were working the gala, I wore Batman socks yeah. under my tux. Right. And Alyssa was like, are you wearing your Batman socks? And I looked her right in the face. I was like, one does need a hint of color. <laughs> you know, like that's, I do this all the time. I've loved this movie since I was a kid, but I don't just love it today because of that nostalgic affection, right? We've talked about yeah. that with movies like Don Juan and all this other stuff where you love it now because you loved it as a kid, but it's trash now in, in truth. This movie is not that. This movie grows with you. Today you love it for the bombastic characters that remind you of your own family, for example. But tomorrow you love it for the clever treatment of the characters and how they relate to one another or for mm -hmm. some other reason that you'll find as you watch this movie. There's something new every time that hits you differently that you didn't notice before or, or whatever it may be. And it's the perfect comedy. I yeah. give this movie a 10 out of 10. I think I can't think of a single thing wrong with it. Um, I highly recommend this. I, I think you would absolutely add this movie into your daily, into not daily, but into your regular <laughs> rotation of, sure. of watches. Like this, this is not a one and done. Like you will no. enjoy this no matter how many times you've seen it. Yep. 10 out of I mean, 10. No question. All right. That's the birdcage guys. Amazon prime. If you haven't already watch it now, if you have already watch it again, I might. Thanks for joining us. Um, let's bring this home guys. Instagram, Twitter at pause reviews. We are on Facebook, but as far as I know, when this airs, it's still busted. So keep checking right. us out there unless we've said otherwise by now. Um, but yeah. I doubt it. What else? I think that's about it for the next deep dive analysis episode. We do have a listener request and that is Parasite. So we watched 1917 and we said we couldn't really say if it had gotten snubbed yeah. for more Academy Awards because we hadn't seen Parasite yet. So we will do a deep dive into Parasite, but the next episode is going to be a rewind episode. So you got two weeks to check it out. I think Parasite right as of today is available on Hulu through just a normal Hulu subscription. Otherwise, you can just rent it $3.99 standard, $5.99 HD, wherever you get your movies. But you guys have two weeks to watch that, absorb that, and we will be back to talk about that at our next deep dive episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one. I'm your boy, Frank. This is Tim. <laughs> All right, see ya. <laughs> Peace.